some time at the end. We're journeying, journeying through Mark still, and it's been an exciting journey, a journey of ups and downs. We are in Mark 9, 30 to 37 this morning. I'll give you a chance to look that up. If you don't have a Bible with you today and you want one, pop up your hand and somebody will pass one along to you. And if you don't have a Bible at home and you would like one, then please take this home. It is yours as a gift. So we are finding about, out about the king and his cross in our journey through Mark. And today I want to find about, out about ushering in the king and hopefully ushering in the kingdom. And I've been loving it so far, three reasons in particular. The first reason is we have been, it's quite tricky, isn't it? Sorry, guys, the screen, it's, it's too sunny. We should complain about the sun. No, <laughs> the winter will be fine. We'll be able to see the words. That'll be great. We'll be freezing and miserable, but we'll be able to see the words. So the first reason I'm loving it is we are getting to know Jesus so well. The kind of king he is, the kind of savior he is, the kind of friend and leader that he is. He's challenging, humble. He is our God-given servant. The second thing I'm loving is that we are getting to know the disciples. And what I particularly love about them is their flaws, their doubts, their questions. It's making me feel much better. I don't know about you guys. Whew. And it helps me to picture myself in the story. I picture myself in their shoes, their sandals maybe. And it helps me to imagine being in the story. And also what I love, the third thing, amongst all their stumblings, their flaws, their questions, the way they've been getting it wrong and right all the time, is that Jesus sticks with them. So if he sticks with them, he sticks with us. And I love that. I'm hoping that we learn a lot today about the kind of king that we have, the servant king that we have. He's not a king that's going to jump on a stallion, ride into battle and use God's presence to wreck everybody. Maybe the disciples were hoping for that. He is a humble, ride on a donkey, change the face of the world and the kind of kingdom that is going to be kind of king. One that we've never seen before. One that brings healing and hope for absolutely everybody. So let's see how we can usher in the king and his kingdom. So I'm going to pray and then I'll read the passage. Dear Lord, I pray if we've heard this passage today a thousand times before, you give us something new from it. And if it's the first time that we've heard it, then I pray that you help us to hear exactly what it is you want us to hear. I pray, Holy Spirit, you guide me and my words. And I pray that you prepare everybody's hearts here just now to hear specifically for them what you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it will come up on the screen, whether you'll be able to read it or not, who knows, but let's read it anyway. So 30 to 37, Mark 9, 30 to 37. Jesus predicts his death a second time. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed amongst them. 
Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So we've had the ups and downs, as I said, and the context for this passage, as you'll probably remember, a few passages previous is that they had little ups. They were right at the top of a mountain and saw the transfiguration of Jesus, God's presence on him. Wow, that was an up. And they've had the downs. I don't know if you remember as well. The first time that Jesus predicted his death, Peter rebuked Jesus and was told, Satan, get behind me. I think that was a bit of a down. So is it an up or a down today? I'm not sure. Let's try and find out what we think. This is the second time that he's predicting his death to disciples, and they do respond differently. Verse 32, but they did not understand and were afraid to ask him about it. So we've just come back from holiday, and uh, I like running. Ali less so, but he still did it. And we like to go for a run to counteract all the overindulging that we do. So we find a wee route. We were in the Spanish hills, so it was also literal up and downs. And we were in the middle of nowhere. We were literally screaming and running away from bugs and beasties all week long. All sorts. Even a tarantula. Mediterranean, slightly different, but Ali was very brave, so that was good. And um, I feel a little braver. I scream a little bit less when I see wasps now, which is good. I'm stronger for it. But there were also bigger beasties. I mean, a proper beastie in the woods. There were wild boar. And I imagine them a bit like this. If there's a picture, if it works, oh, you can't really see it. It's scary. It's like, you know, really scary. Goats, deers, all sorts. And not quite lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but there was definitely boars and goats. And uh, every day, Ali would go out for his run first. He'd come back and I'd say, so what beasties did you see today? I said, well, actually, I scared away a family of wild boar. I'm like, oh, great. I heard them snorting and everything. I'm like, all right, okay. Looking forward to my run. I think they looked more like this, if you can see the next one. Oh, you can. It's rubbish. There's an old lady feeding a little wild boar. It's really cute. And there's another really cute one as well. Ah, uh, just to make you all go, ah. Oh. I think they were probably a bit more like that, but I had imagined them as the first scary one. And the second day I asked, oh, what did you see today? Oh, I don't know, but I heard something. I'm not quite sure what it was. It's even worse, not knowing what's hiding, waiting to attack me as I run. Anyway, third day came, I didn't ask. I was too afraid to ask. I was too afraid of the truth. And I stopped asking. And I think probably the disciples might have been that. They might have learned not to question Jesus. Maybe they were afraid of being rebuked, like last time when Peter was. But maybe they were afraid of the truth. They were really getting the fact that Jesus meant that this was going to be his fate. They, he really meant it. They didn't want to know the details, actually. It's easier not knowing sometimes. So I'm still not sure if this was an up or a down, but it certainly feels, having gone from being up on the mountain with the transfiguration to now being back with doubt and questions to being a little lower in the valley. And don't we have ups and downs in our faith? I do. Sometimes I feel so close to Jesus, to God. I'm right there. I'm in his presence. And others, I'm right back to doubting, to questioning, to being scared. And it's all right. The reassuring point here is that Jesus sticks with the disciples through their doubts. He walks through the valley with them, in fact. And so if he sticks with them 
the sticks with us. So the first letter is ah for ups and downs. You know it's going to spell something. You can maybe guess in a minute. My next word is stop. Stop comparing. So their walk continues. They had their massive up. They've seen Jesus heal a boy. And now they are walking and talking, chatting it through. And this is not scriptural, by the way. I'm speculating a lot. But I'm imagining the conversation might have gone a bit like, hold on a minute. Jesus won't always be here. Who's going to lead us? And the next part of the conversation might have been a bit like overhearing children. Sometimes I hear them saying, my house is bigger than your house. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. I'm faster than you are. No, you're not. I was up the mountain with Jesus. He chose me. Yeah, but you've been rebuked. I know, but that's only because we're so close. Well, I'm his cousin. I've been doing this before you even arrived. You're just fishermen. Yeah, but I know my Bible better than him. I hear from God more. Oh, she gets such good pictures from God. Oh, when he worships, he's so much better than me. They do so much for the church. That sight is so much better than ours. I could do better than that. They must be so close to God. Do we do that? I do. Sometimes, not all the time. Do we wonder if some people have closer relationships to God based on what we can see? Greater favor with God? Honestly, comparison is destructive. So let's stop it. Shall we try? It's not a point system. It's a grace system. It's only grace that makes our relationship possible with Jesus. Nothing else, nothing that we do or say or appear to do and say. So even though the disciples are arguing, and even though they're arguing about who's going to be best, Jesus sticks with him. So although we may still compare from time to time, don't worry, he will stick with us. But can we try and stop, please? And we'll focus on our own relationships with him. Let's make that our focus, not other people's. So we're on to the, huh? You can maybe see what the word's going to be. Heart truth. So the disciples, as I say, they didn't really say all the things that I said earlier, but they had been arguing. We know this. It does say that. Jesus asks, verse 33, what were you arguing about on the road? Oh, oh boy, he knows. That is a direct question. And another story from holiday. It's fresh in my mind, obviously. And um, we were in a lovely house. And it had loads of ornaments and things. And I have one child. She's definitely not in the room. That's fine. Uh, oh, did I say she? I mean, one of my children. I really meant to keep that anonymous. Oops. Never mind. Um, one of them loves sugar in any form, apart from jam, obviously. That's just wrong for some reason. And we were staying in this lovely house that had ornaments and knickknacks and plates on the walls and Everything. Lovely. Nightmare for having children there. We only smashed one plate. We kept a deposit. It's totally fine. But on one of these tables with the ornaments was a glass bowl. In the glass bowl were little sweeties wrapped in little wrap little sweeties wrapped in little pretty wrappers. And this was the temptation. Too tempting. And as the week went on, we found a little wrapper behind the sofa and a little wrapper in the hall and a little wrapper in the toilet and all sorts. And we knew who to ask. This child had form and once I bought Christmas tree those little Christmas tree chocolates 24 in a pack two packs hung them on the tree 
and we went through and we found lots of wrappers empty behind the sofa, a three-year-old with chocolate around their mouth like this saying, it wasn't me. There is a photo of a child doing that somewhere. Not my child, but anyway, it wasn't me. It was like this. So we knew who to ask, and we went to ask them. And they looked straight in our eyes, straight in our eyes, and said, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Actually, there was a lot more crying and gnashing of teeth. But anyway, it was a bit like that. And my spidey senses were tingling. My mummy lie detector was off the chart. So we persevered. And truth is a big deal in our house. So when we get to this stage with our children, we usually say, we're not worried now about the stolen sweeties. All we want is the truth. And after a few minutes of persevering and saying all we want is the truth, don't worry about the sweets now, eventually we got a confession. Woohoo! However, it took a while and yeah, it was tough. But what was great was we were grateful for the truth and so was my child. She was so grateful for having shared that truth with us. She was like, oh, they know and they still love me. And so the disciples didn't say in this passage, it wasn't me or he did it, but I quite like the message translation actually. It says, the silence was deafening. And like a parent, Jesus could see through that silence to the truth. So he has a wee lesson for them coming up. Jesus sits down with them and said, verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and servant of all. I'm thinking, they're gathered round, looking down at their feet, and thinking, oh, he knows, oh man, I can't believe he knows what we were arguing about, how does he do that? And perhaps a sense of relief that he knew their whole truth. He knew what was in their hearts, he knew what was hidden, and he still loved them. So if he knows their whole truth in their heart, he knows our whole truth in our heart, and he still loves us. Encouraging. And so if you don't sometimes say out loud what you feel and think, it's all right, he'll still love you. But I think probably the best policy is honesty. I think Jesus wants to hear your truth. He can handle your truth and will love you all the way through it. I had a mentor this year doing Leadership Academy, and it was great. I totally loved it. You get to reflect, and you get some self-awareness, but there were some tough questions. I thought I was doing quite well, and then they'd ask, what was it? Oh, yeah, the heart questions. So I may have dealt with a situation externally very well, poker face. Well, no, I'm not a poker face at all, but never mind. Um, but they're asking, how did you respond in your heart to that situation? How did you think and feel about that situation? <laughs> it's really hard, but really insightful, and I loved it. It makes you consider how you respond and react. And also, it makes you need, think if you need to ask for forgiveness for those things that are hidden, the hidden truth in your heart. Because Jesus knows it anyway. And I recommend if you get someone in your life like that that can really ask you the tough question, so how did you really feel about that? Have you taken that to Jesus? Then I thoroughly recommend that you have someone that you can do that with. And so although the disciples omitted the truth, Jesus knew and Jesus sticks with them. 
So my next letter is everyone. The disciples are maybe over the fact now that Jesus found out that they were arguing, but maybe they've just clocked what he said. Wait, what? We need to be very last servants. Servants of all. But we're leaders. We have seen it all, done it all. We're in Jesus' crew. And maybe we're thinking, oh, yes, of course you need to be servant-hearted. That's in our language. We're used to it. But a servant back those, in those days would have carried real weight. A servant was the lowest in society, the least, the last, the voiceless, unheard, no standing or position. And they had just been arguing about their position. They're being told that in Jesus' kingdom, it's going to be completely the other way around. I'm just going to give them a moment to let that sink in. And do we ever consider position to be important? Or do we value the servant, the hidden, the unseen, thankless positions like we're being asked? I was thinking of some great leaders. And the obvious ones that stood out for me were ones that um, had been serving others, putting other people first, and having some sort of cost or sacrifice in their, la- in their lives, maybe giving a voice to the voiceless. Mother Teresa, who served people relentlessly. Martin Luther King, apparently he didn't even want to be the leader of the civil rights movement, but he just knew it had to be done. Mahatma Gandhi, who fought to free India from colonial oppression. William Wilberforce, who fought to bring the end to slave trade. I'm sure I got loads of details wrong, and you guys might know loads more about it, but they stood out to me. And I'm sure, of course, they weren't perfect, but what they really were standing up for was other people. And I'm sure that it had a cost for them, a sacrifice. It definitely did. You know, we think to yourselves about other great leaders, do you think, maybe? And, of course, we have the ultimate model in Jesus, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest servant leader of all time. Like it says in Isaiah 42.1, they knew what it was going to be like. Here is my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Our king who washed feet. And I found a great quote about leaders. And I think it possibly sums up part of Jesus' leadership style. A leader takes people, yeah, it comes up, where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. I think Jesus does that for us. It's not always comfortable, but he knows exactly where we need to be. So where is he going to take the disciples next? What's the next part of the lesson for them? Well, he has an object lesson for them. Jesus takes a child in his arms and he said, verse 37, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me, and whoever does welcome me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It's a tongue twister, that one. (laughs) But the message is clear. This is for everyone. I think certainly it will mean children, literally. But also in that time and place in history, children, again, were the lowest in the pecking order, not seen or heard, and not of any position. And we're being asked to welcome them. Four times. Do you think he means it? I looked up New Testament Greek. I'll probably pronounce it wrong. Dechomai. Uh, for welcome, and it means to take by the hand. I love that. We're not saying, welcome, hey there, just hi there, great to see you, you're totally welcome, here, but, but just stay, just over there, just that's fine, arm's length. And for someone who's not very touchy-feely, that's a challenge. We've got to take them by the hand, drop our barriers, 
and welcome them in. It's a very personal thing to do. And Jesus, he's actually holding the child as well. He's showing how close our, our welcome needs to be. It's a challenge. And we say, come as you are as a church. Do we really mean that? Are we ready to receive by the hand the least in our society? Am I really ready to break down barriers and truly come face to face with that? Or do I look around and think, yeah, I'm quite like them, so I think I could be friends with them? I do. I know I do. But what's really exciting about this, I think, is that it says, if we do welcome everyone, we welcome God in too. And so it's exciting and potentially quite simple. Maybe not easy for all of us, but that's a simple idea. I think that's exactly what we should be trying to do. Imagine a church that wasn't just our people, our club, our clones. Imagine a church that has a genuine welcome and love for everyone. Regardless of their standing and position, their opinions, their clothes, their bank balance, their relationship status, their housing situation, their mental health, emotional health, all the stuff that we judge people by. Imagine it was genuinely welcome. That's a church that might change the world, I think. And it's a church that Jesus wanted. And what might that look like for you personally? That's the challenge, isn't it? Who you, you might not face lots of people who you think are least in society. So what I decided was, who is it that I avoid in my life? <laughs> I'm going to give you a minute just to think about if there's a person you avoid, just even because you think they're maybe awkward or difficult or you don't know how to do it. I'm going to give you a moment. See if God will give you someone. And I'd say... Start there. Maybe there's a chance to receive them by the hand as we're being asked. Open a new door. Welcome them in. Because if you do, you're welcoming in God as well. I want to do that. I want to welcome God in. I want to welcome his kingdom in. And my final word is rain, maybe. I found this great quote, and I can't quite remember whose it was. It was either um, Derek Morphew's or Gordon Fee's. I was reading both their books. And it is, Jesus is what God has to say. I love that. He is his word, and his word today shows us a new order. Jesus brought a new order, a new kind of kingdom, one that doesn't look like an earthly one, one that is marked by servanthood and by the cross, by sacrifice. And that is what our lives should look like as disciples. As followers of Jesus, it should be marked by sacrifice and it should be marked by the cross. We should be trying to be more like Jesus always, the ultimate servant, the ultimate sacrifice. Because we want a kingdom that brings healing and new life and hope. A kingdom where the last come first. The least in society get put ahead of those we consider greater. A kingdom we've been given access to by Jesus. If we let him in, he will reign in our lives. And we don't get to see it all. We know that. We're living with this tension of sometimes we see it and then we see healing and transformation and it's right in front of us. And unfortunately, other times it's not. But it will come in completion one day 
when Jesus returns. We have to hold on to that and we have to keep trying. And we've been learning in small groups through Everyday Supernatural that we have access to this kingdom, to this authority given to us by God through Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit. We have the authority to usher in this kingdom here on earth. So I think the words that should be ringing in our ears today are none of mine, but the words of Jesus. It's kind of back to the everyone again. Welcome, 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 welcome. If we as a church do this, as we've been asked today, we are also welcoming in God. How great does that sound? There's no maybe you'll welcome in the one who sent me here. You will welcome the one who sent me here. And I've been feeling passionately about us being a church where people arrive and nobody feels overlooked. Because I think that's how people feel out, out there, outside of these walls. Overlooked. Lonely. Unloved. We want it to be the very opposite when they come through our doors. We want them to be welcome to come just as they are. So I'm going to pray just the first part of this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Dear Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come, that we can usher you in by welcoming people, by giving people a hand. Open our hearts and eyes to see the people that are being overlooked. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to have a time of ministry now. And people can be prayed for over here. All that happens is someone comes alongside you, pops a hand on your shoulder and asks God to do the rest. And I've not got a list of things that I'm saying, oh, you should come up for prayer if you want this, this, and this. I just want you to respond to however God has spoken to you this morning. So if you feel that, and as Tom was saying, let's not miss an opportunity, as Sandra was saying, let's not miss that absolute goal that he has for us.